Yes. He's giving you an opportunity. When God came to Adam in the garden, Adam, where art thou? Now, wait a minute. God's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. <laughs> he was there at the bush where he was hiding. But God was simply giving them an opportunity to repent. Cain, uh, where's your brother? A woman at the well, call your husband. Over and over, when he's giving this out, he is giving us an opportunity to repent. All of what's going on in 2022, God has given us over and over and over an opportunity that we might repent. The problem that we see as he, he pours this out, he says, the grass is gone. He said, the worship is gone. He said, the animals are dead. The, the, the trees are dead. Everything is destroyed. And, and too many times our focus is upon what's happening. The problem is not with the trees and the grass and the animals. The problem is with our soul. And our soul must be made right with God. So as he gives us these warnings, he's trying, blow ye the trumpet in, in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. He didn't, didn't tell them go out there to the lost cities and stuff. He said in my holy mountain. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. With us. Not with the folks out there in, in, in the streets. It becomes, begins with us, his holy mountain. It belongs to God. And when we talk about the day of the Lord, that is talking about the very judgment that God is going to pour out. He said, look back at what has happened, the locusts. God is judging Judah. And everything was devastated. But he said, I'm here with a message from God saying there's coming a judgment. He was talking about Babylon invading Judah because of their sin. But you'll find out here a bit later that not only was that day of the Lord prophesied, he was prophesying about a future judgment that is ahead of us, that day of the Lord. But notice he says towards the middle of that verse, let all the inhabitants of the land, what? Tremble. Tremble. Why? For the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. We think, well, there's been a lot of time. A day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. A time factor is not a big thing with God. But he says, what we've got to do is we have to be ready. And I dare say, I have said in church services, as a pastor, knowing that some of the people, knowing what's going on in their lives, knowing they were not ready, I have sat there as a congregation member and knowing that I was not ready. And I didn't move. And I didn't make a decision. I, I sat there just as stone cold as most everybody else does. 
we don't respond to the grace that God extends to us. And we must take a good, strong look at our life and see where we're at. He said the fear, that trembling, that fear of God for good, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. And as we look at how good God has been to this church and us and in all of our prayers and our testimonies, how, you know, even the prayer tonight for the offering, God, how good you've been to us and, and to this church. And oh, what a blessing. Well, the goodness of God should lead us to what? Repentance. He's extending that opportunity to us to repent. Or we can fear God because his judgment is coming, and it is sure. It's coming on all of us. Then in the next verse, for, uh, it, it talks about the darkness. And at first reading, I, I just passed over this, but uh, the more it, it just kind of intrigued me. And as I went back and studied the, the words and the phrases and things, he says in verse number two, a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong, there hath not been ever like the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. Darkness is depressing. The swarm of locusts as it comes many times just blots out the sun. It becomes dark. And so an enemy, a nation that's coming in, will be so great and so vast that it will, it will be as darkness and as clouds that has spread over Israel and is going to destroy them. We know this is not a locust invasion that he's talking about because he specifically says a great people and strong. The terminology there is not of an insect, a great group, or, some, or just an army, but it is a great people and strong. It's talking about individuals, human beings. Deuteronomy describes something that really, this is where it really got my attention. It describes the very presence of God himself. As he's talking about this invasion... He's talking about the invasion of the very presence of Almighty God himself. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 11. And ye came near and stood under the mountain, and the mountains burned with fire under the midst of heaven, with darkness, clouds, and thick darkness. That sound familiar? Just like the verse we've read. The very presence of God on Mount Sinai. And it was so great that they even ran from the mountain and saying, Moses, you talk to God, we can't, it, it, we'll die. That terror, that fear. Hebrews 10.31 says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of living God. As we, as we see this invasion coming, 
not just in Babylon, but as we see what God says in the book of Revelation and in Daniel about the coming invasion of the, uh, of the Antichrist and of Russia and all the different things that are going to happen. But much of it and most of it is from God himself and his presence in the battle. Hebrews 12, 29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. It, it's going to be an invasion that is unprecedented because God himself is, is the one that is coming. God himself is going to be moving in that tribulation. God himself is going to be the one fighting in that battle of Armageddon. God, the very presence of God, with that darkness, that cloudiness, that thick darkness, you see the very presence of God there. Now, some say it's not the ultimate day of the Lord, as there are going to be many generations. But if you stop and think, there's going to be many generations from Babylon's reign until the millennial but there's also many generations from the end of the tribulation to the end of the millennial also. So it could fit with both of them. So don't get dogmatic on some of these little details and, and strain it in that when you miss the, what he's saying. God himself is involved in this. This is why marriage and a lot of people don't like to talk about marriage because we've made marriage in America a, a, just a toy. Why do we call it holy matrimony? Because God himself is involved in that ceremony. They walk in two people. But God himself performs a miracle right before our very eyes. We don't see it happen. But God says, I make those two people one flesh. When God gets involved, things happen that people cannot understand. And we've got to let God be God. Then the third thing, we see the destruction in verses 3 through 6. Now notice the emphasis that I put here. He said a fire. Didn't he just say that God is a consuming fire? A fire devoureth before them. And behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them. And behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. Nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses. And as horsemen, so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the top of mountains shall they leap. Like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble as a strong people set in battle array before their face the people shall be much pained 
all faces shall gather blackness. So as we look here, God is going to do something here. God himself is a consuming fire. And he said, just like the locusts come in, it was like a garden of Eden. But yet when they passed through, there was nothing left. Total devastation. God is going to, God the Holy Spirit that is here now, he lives in our hearts, he is in this world. When it comes time for the day of the Lord, it says the Holy Spirit is simply going to step aside. He who now letteth will let until he, the Holy Spirit, be taken out of the way. He simply steps aside. And he allows Satan to have his way. He allows man's hearts to just do whatever was in man's heart. And he allows Satan to destroy and do his work for him on this earth. Can you imagine how, I mean, we, we couldn't even imagine how corrupt man has become 20 years ago. It is just perverse. But it's getting like it was back in those days. Back in those days, you had Sodom and Gomorrah. Back in those days, you had Rome that is destroyed from within because of the wickedness and the, and the sensuality. Uh, we, we've been in, in uh, what's the place there in Italy where the, the mountain destroyed the whole Pompeii, where God literally in just seconds, destroyed the whole city and preserved it so man could come back later and see it. And we've been there and we've seen the posters on the walls of the building. It is vile. I would never take my children there. But that's what we have become and are becoming. And what did he say? As it was in the days of Noah. We are becoming like it was in the days of Noah. And as the Holy Spirit of God simply steps aside and says, Satan, you have your way. Man, if you don't want that, go ahead and take it. If you don't like them, go ahead and kill them. It is going to be chaos like man has never seen before. He simply steps aside. Notice the armies. He says it will be like. Now, now this is important. He, we, we look at these symbols and we try to, try to think of them. Understand, Joel did not have TV. He didn't, have, he didn't go to the movies. He, he couldn't relate to the tanks and the, and the aircraft carriers and the jets and the, and the Patriot missile systems and, and all of this Internet. And all. He couldn't even imagine these things. But what he, was say, what he was seeing here, he's saying, in my limited knowledge, it's, it's like this. He's using these things as an illustration. So don't get hung up on the illustration Try to see what he's saying here. He said the armies will be like a fire coming upon them and leaving total destruction behind them. 
Whenever you see as, whenever you see like, he's using that as an illustration. You see it in verse 4 and verse 5 and verse 7 and verse 9, over and over. The literal army, yes, but like or as an illustration in his mind, he could not picture and probably could not pin down what he was seeing, but only in his imagination. Judah was beautiful like the Garden of Eden, but they would leave a desolate wilderness behind them from the locusts. And as Babylon came in, they did the same thing. They destroyed Judah and took them into captivity, the remaining people, and left literally what was nothing behind. But notice this phrase here, nothing shall escape them. No one, no one can run from God. Donald Trump can't run from God. Joe Biden can't run from God. And you and I can't run from God. It don't make any difference if you're a popular Hollywood star, if you're a politician, if you're filthy rich, if you're a pauper. Not one person is exempt from this. Nothing shall escape them. No one can run from God. We, like Judah, will never be able to escape the judgment of God. It don't make any difference for Christians. We will not be able to escape the judgment of God. Now, we might not go through some of what they're going through or going to go through. But the judgment of God, he says, judgment will begin at the house of God. He will judge us. When, we, when he takes us out of here at the rapture and we stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of that that we have done in the body, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. What did he talk about earlier? He said, they were terrified. They were in fear. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, he wrote that to Christians. He said, we better wake up. We better get our act together. We better realize why God is blessing us and what God is doing amongst us in this world. It's not just, as Pastor has said, this building's not just for comfort. It's to fill up with, God, with, with people, leading people to Christ, disciple them, helping them to grow, teaching them all of these things. He still uses the comparison of the locusts. Their heads were like horses. Uh, they were actually called uh, little horses, the, the, the locusts. That was their, that's their name. But all of this is to strike a fear. You say, well, you know, you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't preach a message where it makes people feel uncomfortable. That's exactly what he told him to preach. God gave him the message, not me. We're not trying to make people feel bad. We're trying to bring people to repentance. Right. 
And he says to do that many times, you have to strike fear in the hearts of the people. Uh, In Revelation, he talks about something like, again, he uses that word like, locusts that are released and they go out and they're literally torturing men for months. They can't die, but they sting like a sting of a scorpion. And it will affect them in a terrible way. They'll cry out for death, but they will not be able to die. So he uses these as illustrations. Joel describes the noise of the locusts, describing the the horses and chariots. That's all he knew. But you can imagine what some of that would be like and all the crackling of fire burning and the rustling of the chariots and the the armament and things like this and the armies running into battle. When you get in war, it's, it's confusing. It's noisy. And you can't shut it off. He says, fear and terror. Notice that last part there, verse six. Before their face, the people shall be much pained. All faces shall gather blackness. I don't know if you've ever been around people that are dying. But when they get into this place, I remember really the first time that I was really aware of it was when, uh, you know, and I'd seen dead people before, but when, when I got over to Africa and, and many of my, my friends and people that I'd met and stuff, they were dying of AIDS left and right. And as I'd go there to their home and sit there at their bedside and and pray with them and plead with them to receive Christ. But I begin to notice they all had that same look. It's that kind of a, a pained, pale, dark, grayish look. And I just term it as the death look. You can call it what you want. But what he said... He said, all the faces shall gather blackness. Because of the fear, because of the terror they're living in, because of the the situation and all that's going on here, they are so terrified. They are so in fear that their faces, their bodies, everything, they, they get this look of just death. that affects them so much. You know, I'd rather fear God now and do what's right than have to live in that type of fear. There's a passage. Turn there quickly. We won't stay long, but uh, turn there real quickly to Isaiah chapter 13. Back a few books. Isaiah chapter 13. Joel's not the only one that mentions this stuff. In Isaiah chapter 13, look at verse number, number six with me. How ye, for the what? What's he talking about? The day of the Lord, same thing Joel is. He says, how ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as a destruction from who? From the Almighty. 
Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth, and they shall be amazed one another. Their faces shall be as flames, the destruction, the, the horror. He said, for the stars of, or excuse me, verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate. And he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. And the sun shall be darkened and is going forth. And the moon shall not cause her light to shine. I will punish who? The world. Yes, he comes in the tribulation to, to work on Judah, or work on Israel and to get them to that point that they will receive him, but he's there to judge the world. And you can go on and on throughout that chapter. It's just it's a it's a mirror of the book of Joel. Then we come to the comparison. Real quick, and we'll be done. The comparison in verses 7 to 10. And they shall run like mighty men, and they shall climb the wall like men of war, and they shall march everyone on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk everyone in his path, and when they shall fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. And they shall run to and fro in the city, and they shall run upon the wall, and they shall climb upon the horses or the houses. They shall enter in at the widows like a thief, or windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them, and the heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be darkened. The stars withdraw their shining. He compares in verse number one the invading army to those locusts like mighty men. They're climbing up the walls. They're marching. They're going forward. And he says in verse number eight, he talks, he uses the word, neither shall one thrust another. The word thrust here is to not break rank or crowding or pressing or oppressing. When they start marching, they are in such formation and they are so organized that it just, it, they just keep moving. If one of them's taken out, they fill it right in. And that's the way the locusts would do. And that's the way this army will do. Nothing will stop them. I remember when I was a missionary over in Spain, uh, one of our evangelists come over and he preached a message out of this one little verse here. He <laughs> said, uh, they shall enter in at the widow, and, and the windows like a thief. And he pre preached a message called the greatest window peeker. You cannot keep them out. You cannot resist them. You cannot, it will not work. They will prevail. They're protected by armor at the end of verse number eight there. When they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They're protected by armor. And as an army, when somebody falls, the army's not deterred. In verse number 9, the cities, the walls, the houses, nothing will keep them out. That total occupation. 
Verse number 10, earth, the heavens, everything, and everyone is in fear and is overcome. What's coming at the hand of God is so, I don't know what term you can use. Awesome, bizarre, traumatic, all of them fail. But what he says is, this is coming. And as we look back, we know the locust invasion happened. And as we look back, we know that the Babylonian captivity happened exactly like God said. And as he's looking to the future, we know that that is going to take place exactly like God said. He's the one in control. He controls nature. He controls men. And everyone and everything at that time will obey him. There's no choice. They will obey the creator at that time. Now, number five, and we'll close. The question. The question in verse number 11. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. For his camp is very great. For he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And who can abide it? What a question. Who can abide it? He said it's all about the Lord. It's his voice. He commands. It's his army. It's his camp. He's the one that's involved in this battle. His strength. He's omni, or, or, omnipotent, all-powerful. It's his word. What, whatever he says will happen, and that's why it's important that we study this book. Whatever he says is going to come to pass. And that's what's important about going back and remembering Christmas, because all of those prophecies that were prophesied, it is astronomically impossible that one person could fulfill even two or three prophecies. But Jesus fulfilled every one of them. And if you believe in Christmas, you better believe the rest of the book too. Because what he's prophesying about what's coming is going to take place. This day, he said it's great. It is very terrible. We need to go back and read Revelation again and again and begin to understand what he's, what he's put before us. But the question, who can abide it? Who can escape? Who can endure? Who are we listening to? Who are we following? Am I ready for Jesus to come? Because there is nothing left 
that needs to be fulfilled before Jesus calls us home. Tonight, we could stand at the judgment seat of Christ and have to give an account of everything that we have done in the body, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Are you ready? None of us, saved or lost, can abide his judgment. It's 100% truth. No shady, no excuse, no, well, you have to understand, Lord. No, he don't have to understand. He already does. Are you ready to meet Jesus Christ tonight if not what is he doing he's given you a message out of the book of Joel and he's saying I'm my grace is extended to you I have given you my mercy I've not brought down the hammer and punished you even though you deserve it I have been long suffering to you I am giving you one more opportunity to repent. To come to me and get things right with me. That's what he wants. And that's what this is all about. As we continue on in this study, it gets gooder and gooder. But what's he wanting? He wants our heart. He wants our life. He wants knowing the terror of the Lord, what's ahead. Uh, we persuade men. He wants us to be witnesses, telling people about Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, Lord, there's so much, Lord, in your, in your word that we pass over so many times and and we don't really stop and look at what's there. God, you've been so good to us in giving us another opportunity. Lord, I just preached a burial this last week. A young lady that was a bus driver at a school. Family, kids, grandkids. And we buried her. Pastor's got another funeral coming. We have no idea, Lord, what tomorrow holds. Lord, we need to be ready tonight. And I pray that every heart, we know the sins in our life. We know that we need to confess them and get them right. I pray God tonight during this quick invitation... Lord, we don't need to hold a long one because your Holy Spirit's already spoke. We just need to obey, repent, and get right with thee. Father, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as the pianist begins to play? We're not going to have a drawn-out invitation, but I do feel led to have you give you that opportunity come.
let God.